0: Isn't that cute? I love that. Um, I want to tell you, we right off the bat, we didn't make that. Um, I want to thank our friends at Seacoast Church down in South Carolina for both the graphics and video and the idea for this message. They've been really great to work with. Um, I love it when churches work together and do stuff together. We don't need to reinvent the wheel all the time, so um, thanks to them. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 2. We're in a Christmas series. You probably could have guessed we were going to go there. Okay. But Luke chapter two, uh, if you don't have your Bible, it should be, there should be one of these around you on the floor. It's page, I think, 716 uh, in these blue Bibles. We're starting, as Jerry said, a new series today called Re Gift. How many are you familiar with the term or the idea of re gifting? Re gifting. Raise your hand. Uh, the term's only been around for about 20 years or so. But the idea is you get a gift. Let's say somebody gives you a gift and you open it. And what you say is, wow thank you so much. But what you're thinking in your head is, why didn't you just give me the 20 bucks, <laughs> right? Because, you know, if they repeat the name of the gift, you know, it's a bad gift, right? <laughs> oh, wow. It's a candle, right? It's a, yeah, bayberry. Mm, good. Um uh, says, so hey, you can tell you're supposed to re-gift it. That's what, you know, I was doing some research, just researching deeply uh, into Wikipedia, and um, I found out. Did you know the origin of the word regift? As I said, it's only about 20 years old, and it comes from one of my favorite television shows of all time. T- check this out. Hey, I'd like to go to the Super Bowl. Are you kidding? Here, two tickets. Have a good time. tim you didn't have to get me a thank you gift. I know. It's a label maker. Is that a label maker? Yes, it is. I got it as a gift. It's a label, Baby Junior. You know, those things make great gifts. I just got one of those for Tim Watley for Christmas. Tim Watley? Yeah. Who sent you that one? One Tim Watley? No. My Tim Watley? The same. He sent it as a thank you for my Super Bowl ticket. He recycled this gift. He's a re-gifter. Are you even vaguely familiar with the concept of giving? Didn't he re-gift the label maker? Possibly. Well, if he can re-gift... Why can't you de-gift? Well, here, take Watley's label maker. I don't want to see it again. Is this a label maker? I just came by to pick up my label maker. Uh, okay. You don't have the label maker, do you? Uh, no. I knew it! You're a (laughs) re-gifter! So, be careful. It can get kind of messy when we start re-gifting things, right? So here's what we're gonna talk about during this series. You know what it's like to re-gift something because you don't want it, right? You get a gift you don't like. Like if you get a gift like one of these gifts, it's okay to re-gift it. Like how about the, um, the hairy belly fanny pack? Uh, if you get that, <laughs> it's probably okay to re-gift it. Or how about this book? This is a book I've been looking at, The Beautiful Poetry of Donald Trump. One of the lines in there is, people always talk about fairness. They're always talking about my hair. I don't think it's fair. Do I really care? Um, that's actually one of the lines from the book. Uh, or this, uh, if you're a kid, the original Shave and Play Barbie. Uh, does anybody want that? Oh my goodness. If you get one of those gifts, it's probably okay if you re-gift it. Okay, everybody come back. <laughs> you might wanna take that picture down there, Brad. Um, but what if I told you, okay, so there's some gifts it's okay to re-gift, right? But what if I told you there are certain gifts that we're supposed to re-gift? Is she still up there? She's still up there, isn't she? <laughs> what if I told you there were certain gifts that you're supposed to re-gift? Like, what if I told you the best gift that you were going to get for Christmas this year? What do you think is the best gift you're going to get for Christmas this year? Well, well, if you're a kid or a teenager, it's probably one of these Um, The Nintendo Switch, right? This is very popular today with kids and teens. Kids, teens, anybody in the room want one of these? Uh, This is a gaming console for your house, but it's also a portable gaming console. That's one that uh, a lot of the kids want. Or if you're an adult, um, maybe it's like a gift like this, the Bose uh, QuietComfort 35 series wireless headphones. I mean, you think about this, like, The kids are arguing, right? You just put these on and you're in your own little world. It's like everything goes away. Or the dogs are barking at something going by the window. You know, you just put your headphones on, it all goes away. The wife is, well, you know what? I better just stop right there. (laughs) What if I told you that the best gifts you got this year, you had to re-gift that one? What if I said that? What if I, what if I told you that? that the, in fact, here's what I'm gonna propose to you, that the concept of regifting hasn't only been around for 20 years or so, that when Jesus came, he brought gifts that are never fully experienced. They're never fully received until we give them away. Now look at this. This is Jesus. This is where I would argue the concept of regifting started. This is Matthew 10, uh, verse eight. Jesus says this, "'Freely you have received, freely give.'" Now, what's happening here is uh, Jesus is gathered around. He's got 12 of his disciples um, close to him and he's getting ready to send them out. This is after he's told them that he will make them fishers of men and he's going to send them on a fishing trip. He's gonna send them out two by two to do ministry. And Jesus says, hey, we've journeyed together for a while now and what you've received from me, I want you to go give it away. So if you've received healing from me, I want you to go heal people. If you've received love from me, I want you to go love people. If you've if I've served you in any way, I want you to go serve people. And if you've received any hope from me, go give that hope to the people you encounter. Anything that I've given to you, Jesus says, go give that in to the lives of the people you meet. This is the idea of regifting. And so, from now until Christmas, uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to treat the month of December like an experiment. Okay, like like. We've been given orders. Hey, you've been given much. I want you to go out and re-gift it. And we're going to take a journey together as a church. And we're just going to try to re-gift some things that God has given into, uh, to us and re-gift them into our community and into our world, into our places, wherever those are, our homes, our, our uh, workplaces, our schools. We're going to talk about re-gifting joy and re-gifting peace. And this weekend, we're going to talk about re-gifting hope. Would you agree that hope is a pretty powerful motivator? Right, Uh, I mean, think about it. If you've ever hoped to go on a date with someone, you'll do some crazy things, man. If you hope to go on a date with somebody, you'll step out of your comfort zone, you'll take a shower, right? you'll get all cleaned up. Because if there's a hope that that person will go out with you, hope can cause you to do some pretty amazing things. There's a great quote by uh, an evangelist named Hal Lindsey. He said this, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. Hope is a belief that things can get better, that that things can get proved, that your circumstances can change, that, that we can get the things we long for, and you won't get very far in this world if you don't have any hope. Hope can help us persevere through difficult times. We can make it through because of hope. How many of you as part of your Christmas gift or maybe part of your Christmas tradition are planning to travel over Christmas break sometime? Raise your hand if you're planning to travel. How many of you, uh, if you're you're traveling, how many of you are traveling to see family? Okay. How many of you are traveling to get away from family? (laughs) No, No. Probably, probably shouldn't raise your hand there. Have you ever thought about that though? Have you ever like just dreamed of, you know what? And maybe it happens like right around Thanksgiving, maybe Thanksgiving weekend after you've been together with your family and you go... What would you think about doing Christmas in Hawaii this year? Right? But then you're like, I don't know. Sunny, 85 degrees every day, mountains, beautiful beaches, grandma stuffing, like like right, beautiful Hawaii stuffing, Hawaii stuffing, and then eventually I think we all reach the same conclusion. Mele Kilikimaka, right? <laughs> How many of you are going to, to Florida if you're traveling? Anybody going to Florida? No? Nobody's going to Disney this year? Okay. Uh, A few years ago when our kids were little, uh, we had the opportunity to go to Disney World, and um, it was it was one of our one of our really great trips. Uh, our, I had a friend that worked at Disney Parks, and she had the opportunity. She uh, got us into uh, one of the Disney hotels. It was a trip we probably couldn't have afforded to take in without uh, her help. But we got to stay in one of the Disney hotels. And here's one of the things: when you go stay in a hotel on the property at Disney, um, you get to go to a park an hour early every day and stay at a park an hour late every day. Has anybody experienced this? This is pretty fun. And so, um, you know, it's a different park, but you can go to one park in the morning, uh, go an hour before it opens, ride some of the rides, and then you go, go back to your hotel and then go to a different park in the evening and you get to stay late. And we, we did this one, one night, we were at Magic Kingdom, the night that it was open late for people who are staying in park. And so um, what happens is they set the fireworks off to indicate the park is closing, but you get to keep riding the rides. And so I remember our kids were probably four and two at the time, and we were on um, It's a Small World. You know that ride, It's a Small World? It's a small world after all. all right, and so you take the little boat ride, and all the dolls are singing, and they're singing the same song, and, and there's no line because the only people in the park are the ones that are staying on property. And so um, we get to the end of the ride, and there's no line. We just stay on it. We go do it again. It's a small world after all. this. and we get to the end of the line and we do it again. It's a small world after all. This. It's a small, It's a small ride. Let me tell you. Um, and then, about after about three trips through, this guy, this family in front of us, it's, it's a, a husband and wife and two girls just like ours. And um, we get to the loading dock and the guy, the guy, the father gets up, and he goes, that's it. I can't take it anymore. I'm getting out of here. And the, and the wife says, well, where are you going? And she's like yelling from the boat. And he goes, I don't know. I'll find you. He never turns around. He's like, he was done. Like this guy had lost all hope. It's easy to lose hope at Disney World, right? I know it's called the happiest place on earth, but I'm guessing whoever named it that didn't have any kids because the last time I went to Disney World, it, I saw much more bickering and fighting and yelling and screaming and crying than laughing and fun. And that was just the parents, <laughs> Comedian, Jim Gaffigan says, if you haven't been to Disney World and you're an adult, just imagine you're standing in line at the BMV and that's it. <laughs> it's like... But we stood in line for 45 minutes on that trip to get a, an autograph from Winnie the Pooh, right? And I don't really think it was him, I have to tell you. Um, But I was very fortunate. I felt very fortunate at that moment because our girls were into the characters and not into the princesses because while we stood in line for 45 minutes to meet Winnie the Pooh, there were two-hour lines to meet Cinderella. And I got to tell you, if there's one thing that can make you lose hope, it's standing in line, right? I mean, I saw several times, several people waiting in line for several minutes or even an hour just to step out of their places and go somewhere else, that they had lost all hope. Now, why am I telling you this story? Because I have a microphone and I think it's funny, and so I thought I'd tell you. No, I'm just kidding. I want to tell you um, maybe the theme of our message today is what I learned about hope from standing in line at Disney World. And so I've included these in your notes if you want to follow along. Um, There are four reasons I think that I've seen that people lose hope. Four reasons. Number one is circumstances, right? I mean, just about everything around you at Disney is beautiful, right? It's magical, yes, but. Orlando is comfortable, uncomfortable like nine months out of the year, right? We've, even when we've gone in October, it's often reached 90 degrees during the day. Um, the park is expensive. The food is expensive. Your body is producing more sweat than you thought was possible. And if you take a moment to step back and see your circumstances around you, it's easy to lose hope. Uh, the second reason was uh, voices, right? You see voices cause people to lose hope. Vo- uh, voices like rides closed. Or, you know what, I rode that right last year. It's not very much fun. Or, Or, this line doesn't seem to be moving at all. Or, mommy, I have to use the bathroom again. Or, he's touching me. Well, she's looking at me, right? Isn't it true that voices can cause us to lose hope? Both voices around you and even your own voice can cause you to lose hope. The third reason people lose hope is fatigue. It's hot. You have to walk a lot If you're pushing a stroller, that makes it even worse. You feel like you have to get up at sunrise and go to bed uh, late and go hard all day long if you really want to get your money's worth, and it can make you tired. And then for me, the hardest one is doubt. Doubt can cause you to lose hope. Like, are my kids having fun? Are they even going to remember this at all? Is it worth it? I mean, I don't know if we should have bought another day's worth of park tickets, or I could have gone to Hawaii for what this trip cost and Meli Kalikimaka. Wouldn't that have been more fun? You know, we start to doubt our decisions. Doubt can cause you to lose hope. When you make plans to go to a place like Disney or to go on any vacation, really, you hope that your kids will have a good time, right? Or you hope that your family will have a good time. You hope that it will be a vacation to remember. You hope for those few magical moments where you can capture them in a photograph and put it on your wall and have those memories forever. Those, and those things are important for people. They're, they're important for families. They're, they're worth standing in line for. But the truth is, fun fact, the same things that cause people to lose hope at Disney are the same things that cause people to lose hope in life. Circumstances, voices, fatigue, and doubt. But if you're a follower of Jesus, okay, non-Christians, this part's not for you right now, okay? But for followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are called to be bringers of hope right? This is something that Jesus gave to us. We're supposed to be re-gifters of hope to our families, to our friends, to our coworkers, or uh, to other students, and to our communities. So two thoughts for us, two simple thoughts, if we're going to be the kind of people who re-gift hope into our communities, into our workplaces, into our families. The first thing is this, we have to make sure, and these are in your notes if you want to write these down, you have to make sure we're standing in the right line. Like, wouldn't you hate to wait two hours for, say, Space Mountain, and then get there and realize you're actually in line for the Dumbo ride? That would be a disaster, right? What hope line are you standing in right now? So for you, maybe it's, it's marriage. There was a time when you were standing at the altar and you thought, we're not gonna be a statistic. Like we're not gonna be one of those couples that this doesn't last for and uh, we're gonna be different. But right now, with the circumstances of your marriage, you look around and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of hope right now. Or maybe for you, it's, it's your health or the health of someone you love. You want to hope. You want to believe that things are going to be good and things are going to get better, but it just doesn't seem like it is. And in the last few months, the doctor's reports haven't been all that positive and you're starting to lose hope because of those voices. For some of us, it's just our future. Like you hear your friends say, God has a plan for your life and you want to believe that's true, but you're just not sure. You believe that maybe your best days could be behind you, in fact. What are you hoping for today? What hope line are you standing in? The Christmas story reminds us of another person uh, who was standing in line for hope, who was waiting, who was hoping. It was a guy named Simeon, and his story is found in Luke chapter 2. This is right after Jesus was born. If you have your Bible open there, it's uh, verse 25 is where we're going to start, Luke 2.25. It says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he was waiting for a Messiah. This was a man who had lots of hope. And it was not uncommon. Many of the people living around Israel at the time would have been in this same boat. They would have believed that there was a Messiah and they would have been hoping for him to come during their lifetime. But, but Simeon also had a personal hope because it says this, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So I don't know how it was revealed to him or how he knew this, but somehow the Holy Spirit comes on this man named Simeon and he has this personal encounter and he gets this personal message that you're not going to die until you see this Messiah you've been hoping for. And so while many people had a feeling that he was going to come, he was personally feeling and believing that he was not going to end his life uh, before he got to meet the Messiah. Verse 27 goes on, "'Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, "'Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace.'" For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Do you hear the relief there? It's kind of like, I can die now. Everything that I've hoped for has come true. Everything that I've been told has happened. I can go in peace. Thank you for letting me see the Messiah. Salvation is here. Then it goes on, verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. In other words, he says, when it comes to Jesus, it's gonna be really hard for people to be neutral. Jesus is gonna cause so many people to find hope and find life, but for many others, it's gonna cause them to fall. He's he's going to cause them to stumble. Simeon says, this child, this is what my hope has been in. This is what I've been waiting for. This is the line I've been standing in. Simeon's hope was anchored in the Messiah, that one day he would see the Savior of the world. And friends, at the end of the day, if our hope is anchored in anything but the Messiah, Jesus, we're going to be let down. We need to learn from Simeon that our hope has to be in Jesus, in the savior of the world. And the fact that God not only loved the world, but he loved the world so much that he became one of us. And he came to earth in the form of a baby and he lived a sinless life and he died on a cross and then he overcame death so that we could be free from sin and experience life. If our hope is in anything other than that, we're gonna be disappointed. You know, statistically at this time of year, uh, depression and sadness is higher. Suicide rates go up. People face all kinds of difficult feelings and emotions. And I certainly don't have all the answers to that. But I can't help but wonder if for some people, it's because some of us have misplaced our hope. Like if it, if it sheds light on things that we have hoped for, but didn't come true. Look at Proverbs. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. In other words, when you hope for something that doesn't happen, it makes you sick. It makes your heart sick. It makes you sad. And, and some of us have placed our hope in a relationship. Like you really hoped it would work out, but here you are, and Christmas was coming, and you thought it would work out, but hopes are dashed for that relationship. It's over, and it makes your heart sick. Some of us have placed our hope in healing. Like that health problem is not going away, and we hope that we'd get better, but we're not, and we'd placed all of our hope in that. Some of us have placed our hope in the goals we set at the beginning of the year, right? This was the year, you know, my goal this year was to lose 10 pounds, only 15 more to go, right? And you know, this was the year we were gonna lose weight or we were gonna uh, hit those financial goals or we were gonna um, whatever, and now it's December and January's coming again, and we don't, you don't even know if we can face like another year of New Year's resolutions when we didn't do very well in the last ones, and we've kind of lost all hope. Because we're putting our hope in those things and it just brings about disappointment. We've been standing in the wrong line. See, when we find our hope anchored in anything other than Jesus, we set ourselves up for disappointment. The writer of Psalm 42 found himself in this same situation. I don't know if it was December when he wrote this or not, but look at what he said, Psalm 42, 11. He says, why my soul? He's talking to himself. Why my soul are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He's so sad. I'm not sure what issues he's facing, but he's clearly disappointed. He's talking to himself. And then it's almost like he remembers something that somebody told him. And he says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. He says, you know what? I'm gonna get back in the right line. Like I'm gonna refocus my hope on where it's supposed to be in God. The most important thing to me, that's what matters. Are you discouraged this Christmas season? Is it possible that it's because you've put your hope in something that's not going to last? I love the way the writer of Hebrews describes hope in Christ. He says this, uh, verse 18, uh, there on the second line, he says, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, an anchor for the soul. That's a picture of what hope in Christ is. It's, it's a confident assurance. If you know anything about boating, you know when the waves or the wind comes, uh, when, when things get bad, they throw out an anchor, right, to hold the boat in place. But if your anchor doesn't catch in something permanent, it's not going to help. If you, you anchor in the sand or you anchor in the seaweed, it's not going to help you out. Uh, You've got to make sure that your anchor hits on a rock or an, on a solid foundation, right? Right? that you're going to be able to weather them. It's, it's got to be in something permanent. I mean, not that things will always go well or we won't face trials. Obviously, we will. I mean, any boat that's going to sail across the sea is going to face hard times. It's going to face wind. It's going to face waves. It's going to face storms. Our, our life is the same way. We're going to face trials. We're going to face hard times. It's not going to be perfect all the time. An anchor doesn't change your circumstances. But when our hope is anchored in Christ, it's a strong endurance that says, you know what? Things are going to be okay. Regardless of what my circumstances say or the voices around me, regardless of how fatigued I get or how much I doubt, I know that my future is going to be okay because my hope is not in a relationship or a condition or in a circumstance. It's my hope is in Jesus and it's a confident assurance. That's the kind of hope that carries you through loss. That's the kind of hope that gives you faith to hold on to the promises of God. Are you in that line? Are you? Because if you're not standing in that line, you're gonna be disappointed. Have you put your hope in something else? Because here's the truth. I can't re-gift something that I haven't already received. Right? If I'm going to be hope to someone, if I'm going to give hope to somebody, I have to have hope. So the very first thing I have to do is make sure I'm standing in the right line. And then once we have that settled, once we've got that, once our hope is in the only thing that matters, the second thing we have to do is to speak hope to the people around us. Can you think of a time when somebody spoke spoke hope into your life? I I can. For me, um, I can remember how encouraging this was. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had worked hard on a message, and there was one particular phrase in that message that I had really wrestled with and struggled with. And does this make sense? Does this sound better? Does that sound better? And sometimes, I don't know if it matters, sometimes I spend 45 minutes like wrestling with one phrase in a message and then I get up here and deliver it and I feel like, whew, I just went right by you guys, like 100 miles an hour, I don't know what happened and it's not your fault, it's my fault. Like I didn't emphasize that or whatever and I sometimes wonder, like does that matter when we spend times thinking about these phrases or these takeaways in our message and um, somebody uh, sent me a text later that day and said, hey, I just wanna tell you about your message today and what it meant to me and this was so encouraging and, and, and that phrase that you used, wow, that was powerful. I'm like, hey, it does matter. This stuff matters, right? was those, those words. And I'm so glad that he spoke those words to me instead of just thinking them, right? So how many times have we thought, encouraging thoughts about somebody and not spoke it to them? We, we just think it and we think, well, I hope they know how we, they, we feel about them, right? And Proverbs 18 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. That there's a lot of power in the words we speak. And so this is the experiment that I want us to go on this month. This is what I want to challenge us as a church as we go through this month, and maybe it will go beyond just December, but I'm going to use my tongue to speak hope, to speak life. I mean, there's plenty of people speaking death right now. There's plenty of people on social media commenting. Look, we all have opinions on things. All of us do, right? We all have opinions. Let's just speak hope. Let's just speak life. I was reading a friend's social media post this week, and she just decided that um, any time that she said something bad about somebody this month, any time she gossiped, any time she did anything like that, she was gonna make herself do 50 burpees. Like, that's, that's punishment right there. And I just decided, okay, I'm, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna take that on. In fact, my wife says I owe her 50 burpees right now. <laughs> Not because I said anything bad about her, but uh, it was <laughs> my idea. I've just decided, like, if it doesn't bring healing, if it doesn't bring life, I'm not gonna say it. This is a challenge for us at Christmas. This is a challenge for me. Like, speak words of hope wherever you go. Look at this next one, Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I mean, what if we just committed, you know how people fast from things, like fast from food or you fast from television or whatever? What if we just committed to fast from negativity? to fast from complaining. Like, like, what if before every sentence we spoke, we just ask this question? Is this going to speak hope to the person I deliver it to, or is it going to speak death? What if before every sentence we just ask that? And, and if it is, if it is going to speak hope, I'll say it. And if it's not, you know what? I'm just going to hold my tongue. See what happens. See if people don't start acting differently around you. Some of, this, some of you guys do this so well. I was thinking about this this week. I think about my friends, Bud and Linda Wall. Bud and I love to teach each, tease each other because he's really ugly, and uh, he's not even here for, to hear that. Doggone it. But they're always there with an encouraging word, like hugging people when they walk in the building, this huge smile on their faces. They, they just are the epitome to me of somebody who's welcoming and loving. I think about my friends at the Woodruff, Des and Janelle, and just, you know, it was their idea to set up the tent out there to welcome new people. And it's been like an incredible blessing to us. But, but few weeks go by when I don't get an encouraging text when, from, from one of them just talking about what they learned from the message. Or Paul and the commons. Paul, I saw you back there earlier. Um, just encouraging people. I think about people who use not just their words, but their actions to encourage us. There's a whole bunch of people that you probably don't know about that come into our office every week and serve people like Terry Wignall and Bobby Packard and Karen Breckheisen who come in the office every week and serve behind the scenes and nobody knows about it. And they're so encouraging, not just with their words, but with their actions. Or, or Margo Torado and Jackie Johnston who serve back in our Gen Kids area, they come in every week and set up rooms. Jackie brought breakfast tacos this week. Are you want to talk about encouraging like extra encouragement points. Or Katie Beata, Katie's here today. Um, Katie's been coming in during the week with two of her kids in tow to clean the windows in our campus. I mean, talk about a servant. Of all things, uh, they are so helpful but so encouraging during the week. And we've got a whole community around us that needs to hear this message, that needs to hear that there's a trustworthy place, there's a safe place they can put their hope. And that's why I love where we are as a church, that we're completely sold out to becoming a disciple-making church, to having every person on mission in their neighborhoods, in their schools, in their workplaces for Jesus. And that's why, as Jerry said, we're giving away our Christmas offering. He already mentioned today that every dollar we collect during the Christmas weekend is gonna go right back out these doors to our outreach partners. We can re-gift hope to the people our ministry partners serve. One of those partners is Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti. Uh, we're sending a team there to serve in February. And we just learned this past week that they ha- they're about $4,000 short on a community center. So all of NVM's work right now happens on a campus, which is about a, uh, probably a half a mile from the village that they serve, Chambron. But they're trying to build a community center in the village of Chambron so they can have a permanent presence in that village. And they're about $4,000 short. What if we could meet that goal for NVM and play a small part in their, uh, their work of bringing hope to Haiti? Or some of you remember Josh and Heidi Tandy. They, they served at Genesis a few years ago. We helped plant them as a new church in Northern Kentucky, Movement Church. And as a young church, they've got some very specific needs uh, they're trying to get met. What if through our Christmas offering, like we could come alongside them once again and encourage them, but also help them as they're trying to be hope for their community in Northern Kentucky. We can share hope in so many ways. We, we need to be hope. And maybe you don't believe you have a part to play. But let me just say this. Whether you're a kid or a student, young or old, single or married, you are a critical part of the strategy of Jesus. The Genesis church isn't going to help people find their way back to God. It's you. It's me. It's, it's us. We are the strategy. We are the mission. And if someone stops you to ask, "Why are you being so encouraging to me?" just remember, we can follow the advice that Peter gave us in 1 Peter 3:15, where he said, "Always be prepared." always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, if you speak enough hope to people, the door's going to open for you to talk to somebody about your faith or, or maybe to give an invitation to one of our Christmas services where we're gonna talk about the hope we have in Jesus. If you commit to speaking hope, you're gonna earn the right to tell people why. So let's speak hope to the people around us. In fact, what if your mission this Christmas was to be the bringer of hope to your family? What if it was to be the bringer of hope to your office or to your school? What what if instead of dreading the family Christmas dinner, you instead said, for these three hours, I am going to be the most pleasant, hope-filled person in the room because I have the hope of Christ in me. Now, I spent the last 15 minutes or so talking to Christians. I want to spend the last two talking to you if you're not a Christian. If you're here and you don't believe that God loves you, if you've never made a decision to make Jesus the center of your life, I just wanna give you this hope. He's crazy about you. Especially if you've gone through a rough time in your life, I want you to know that there's a reason for hope here on earth, there's a reason for hope here. God wants us to have life and have life abundantly. He wants us to enjoy the time we have here. But at the end of the day, there's a reason to have hope for all of eternity. All you have to do is have faith in Christ that he's promised to us. And that's why we can have hope. We can have hope in light of death, even in light of loss. Some of you are facing tragic loss this Christmas season. In light of loss, you can have hope for all of eternity because of the words that Jesus Christ gave us. Words like these in John three sixteen, where he said one of the most recognizable phrases in all the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we're supposed to re-gift. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am just overwhelmed with the hope that you've brought to my life and to my family and to our church and to our community. And Lord, I wanna be a bringer of that hope. And it's not a spiritual gift of mine. It's not a skill that I usually have. So Lord, I need your help. We in this room, we need your help. If we're gonna be re-gifters of hope, we need you to work in our lives. Uh, Even during this time of year, it can be really stressful and really difficult. Lord, help us to see the hope that you've brought to us and help us to be people who give that back away. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.